Welcome into this emergency edition of the Golf Central podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who has gotten out of uh, his clown suit. He was on Golf Central for about an hour, breaking down the news of the day. And folks, this is an emergency edition of the pod because the news that we've been waiting for has finally dropped. PJ Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan made his decision on May 10th, Tuesday, whether to grant or deny the conflicting event releases for the inaugural event of the Live Golf Invitational Series. And it was a decision that took us, I would say, by surprise. The answer is no. The PGA Tour has made a hardline stance against the Saudi Arabian-backed upstart league, meaning that interested players now have to decide whether to defy the tour and face potential punishment or return to the most dominant professional circuit in golf. We'll find out in a few weeks what that answer is. Plenty more on that. But first, Callaway has developed their longest irons ever, the new Rogue ST line. These irons are breaking ground with a high-strength 450 AI face cup that's never been seen before in the industry. Callaway has continued to push innovation through their patented urethane microspheres and have massively increased their precision tungsten weighting. The Rogue ST lineup is available in four options to suit every type of player, including the Rogue ST Max for incredible speed, forgiveness, and performance. They're available now, and for more info, visit CallawayGolf.com. Rex, this is well past both of our bedtimes, and yet I nailed the pod read. Nailed the sponsor read. I'm sure our uh, friends uh, at Callaway will be very appreciative of that. But look, it was big news, emergency pod. We've only done a couple of these emergency pods because, quite frankly, there really isn't all that much breaking news in golf, non-Tiger Woods related. But what's your reaction to the news that the tour has denied granting these releases to players who wanted to play in the first event next month in London? It's 8.45. It's not that late. It's past our bedtime. What time do you go to bed? Past our bedtime. Are like quit putting me in this category. I'm, I I might be prone on the couch, but I'm watching a game of some sort. I believe there's NBA playoffs tonight. Like I'm awake. I'm not exactly a productive member of society at this time of night, but uh, I'm one, I did. I'm 100%. I'm I'm 98% of the time in bed by 8:45. Uh, I did spend over an hour, which uh, I, give, I give credit to our folks on the on-air side that they, they adjusted on the fly. They, they pre-taped the show. We'd, we'd gotten word that this release was coming out, uh, and, and they adjusted. So this is what TV does when it's at its best. And they brought in Eamon Lynch, and they brought in Todd Lewis. And, Steve and they brought Kowski. in Rex Hoggard. In, in myself, and it, it, was, it was an hour of us talking about this. And it, I, I would have thought... Like when I first heard over my earpiece that, okay, we're coming up live at, I believe it was six o'clock. And my, my reaction was, okay, we're going until 6.15, 6.30. And no, we're probably going to go past seven. And I panic, you know me. An hour. Better, uh, an yes. hour. Like talking about anything for an hour. Of legal wrangling and oh, no. repercussions and waivers and releases oh, and suspensions and bans and fines and Conflicting event releases and PGA Tour regulations. Oh, my goodness. Yes, just exciting TV talking about this. Uh, It it was a surprise that I guess the the most enjoyable part for me was this is what Woj 
must feel like every single day when he's on the set at ESPN. Because as I'm talking, I'm looking, I keep looking down at my phone because I keep getting texts from players and managers and whoever else. And so you're getting bits and pieces of information and you're regurgitating those as they come in. It, it was enjoyable. I'm not going to lie. That That's kind of the highlight of my day, probably the highlight of my year sitting here watching my phone and, and just, just parroting everything back that people were telling me. I guess the one thing that I would, I, I come with is this was very much a surprise. I think based on the idea that PGA tour regulations allow up to three conflicting event releases for players, like these are regularly given, given out. This is what the PGA tour does. Precedent has been set long ago to allow players to go overseas and, and chase money, get free, free cash. That's what this is about earlier this year at the Saudi international. There was uh, more than two dozen, PGA Tour members who requested one of these, and they were granted it. Now, there were some stipulations, but they were still granted it. So I think everyone, including the players who I talked to, had requested the conflicting event releases to play in that first Live Golf event in London in early June. They all expected this one to go through. Like, this was going to be a rubber stamp, and then things were getting interesting starting next week when the second deadline came up for the second Live Golf event, which was scheduled to be played in Oregon which is scheduled to be played in Oregon. And there are tour regulations against that. Like they, they will not allow. You literally can't. You literally cannot. In North police. America. They can't and they won't. I mean, we went round and round for an hour on TV about this tonight. That's where we all knew the line was going to be drawn. Like that, that's where this is going to stop. This is surprising on many levels. And, and I can break it down sort of legally. And I, I talked to a couple of managers who had gotten the letters from the tour, who had had players who had requested it. And we can talk about exactly why, but if you're, you're just cutting to the chase. And if you just want to listen to five minutes of this podcast and then turn it off and go to bed, because it's late. What happened here is the tour said, fine, we're going to end up in a lawsuit. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and start this process now. Like we're not going to wait. We're not going to, I think the analogy I gave last week is when you intentionally walk a batter now in Major League Baseball, you don't have to throw <laughs> four ridiculous pitches anymore that you can just tell them to just go take the base. Like, we don't have to do this. We don't have to do the formality anymore. In this particular case, I think it was the tour. I think it's Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, who said, enough's enough. Like, I've talked about distractions. I've talked about being tough on this. This is what tough looks like. And he drew the line. And depending on who you talk to, I mean, some tour players that I talked to tonight were very happy with this decision and some were a little shocked and a little, little sad because they didn't expect it to come to this so quickly, but we were going to end up here anyway. So from Monaghan's point of view, let's do it now. So if anyone has been listening to this podcast over the past month or two, you and I have both uh, been, I would say in agreement that look, there's, there's precedent for this. There's been money grabs all over the world that PJ tours granted releases and the funds really going to start with the second one. That's, been kind of our stance i would say for a month or two but then when i actually thought about it and the tour denied these releases i'm really not surprised at all that they did so because you don't want to make it look like one event is okay revisionist stuff you're throwing at me now right no but like yeah i'm saying like in hindsight of of course they weren't going to grant this and uh, the pj tour now is is viewing it and greg norman has said once they had to pivot away from the Super League into what at least Greg Norman said was kind of eight standalone tournaments. You can come and go as you please, whatever fits into your schedule. We're happy to have you. And if you only want to play one, that's great. If you want to play uh, all eight, uh, even better. Except the PJ Tour does not view it 
like that clearly. They view it as this is the start of this upstart league. And so if you grant the release to the first event, you're essentially signing off that that's okay. Then all of a sudden, once they shift to North America, uh, that's no longer going to be okay. So in hindsight, of course they wouldn't because the tour, the tour has to double down on their position that this is a threat to our business. It's either us or them. And it's time for you guys who have been on the fence to, to make a decision about where your future uh, fealty, as John Rom would say, uh, where that fealty lies. And, and to that point, I, again, the manager I talked to in the letter that he, he received. So there was two memos sent out tonight. There was a letter to players who had requested the releases, and that was a little bit more in-depth, and they, the tour tried to explain their ideas on that. And then there was a three-paragraph memo that was sent to just the general population, just the, all the different tour players. And that would even posted, Rex, on the PJ Tour's website. Now it's buried. It's buried on, on PJTour.com. But they actually yeah, did post the, the memo in its entirety uh, for, the, for the news of the day. So two things I wanted to point out to your point and you're right in retrospect, I guess we should have seen it coming. The the manager I talked to that said in the letter that he received uh, specifically explaining why they didn't grant the release pointed out that they said the first of the eight event series, half of which those events are being played in the United States. I believe that's probably the context that the tour decided to draw the line that you're right. This was not a one-off. And they can call it whatever they want. It's also worth pointing out that in the memo that they sent to the overall tour membership, they referred to the Saudi Golf League in all caps, Saudi Golf League in all caps. Where in, if you look at the other side of this, they've been referring to Live Golf Invitational Series. So we're parsing words here, and I'm sure this has something to do with the coming legal battle that we're all going to have to dig into. But the tour clearly looked at this as a full circuit, full tour, and a full tour that has every intention of setting its sights on the PGA Tour and taking what they have. And so based on that idea, they were going to deny this. And I don't know that I've ever seen, there probably, there has not been a precedent for this before. And in this particular case, the tour clearly sees Live Golf as a rival, as a threat. You can make the same argument that why they didn't see the Asian Tour as a threat earlier this year when they granted two dozen releases into the Saudi international, I'm not quite sure where the distinction falls there, but in this particular case, they clearly see it as a rival and they weren't going to allow it. The timing of course uh, is ironic given that Greg Norman, just a couple hours earlier uh, talked about how the uh, live golf uh, entire league has secured an additional $2 billion of extra financing. Had to lean uh, into the B on that one, didn't you? Billion public uh, investment fund, which of course is the controversial uh, fund that is basically owned and operated uh, to be at the pleasure of uh, the Saudi Arabian's uh, uh, dictator, uh, who is king. I would say, king. I would say he has a, a terrible uh, human rights record, and that is something that. Uh, if you view some of these actions by Saudi Arabian government, it certainly looks like it is sports washing, which Greg Norman, of course, would vehemently deny. But Greg Norman, just a couple hours before this came out, said $2 billion investment, eight events this year, 10 events in 2023. And beginning in 2024, that is when the quote-unquote Super League 
will start with 14 tournaments in both 2024 and 2025. A couple hours later, this upstart league takes seemingly uh, yet another blow. I guess the question, Rex, and Greg Norman just released a statement, uh, came into our inbox about 10 minutes before we were uh, recording this podcast. I can read it if you want. I would really just encourage everyone to go to golfchannel.com. He essentially calls uh, the PGA Tour. It's perpetuating its illegal monopoly uh, and says that their actions are anti-golfer, anti-fan, and anti-competitive. That's exactly what uh, I'm sure live golf officials will be trotting out in court. No matter what obstacles the PGA Tour puts in our way, Norman says, we will not be stopped. We will continue to give players options that promote the great game of golf globally. So now the big question, of course, turns to will players defy the PGA Tour's order here and still show up and compete in the tournament outside London that begins June 9th. Doing so, you would believe, would subject them to PGA Tour discipline, whether that's a fine, whether that's suspension, or whether it is, as Jay Monahan uh, has kind of threatened in the past, potentially barring them uh, from the PJ Tour, whether indefinitely or perhaps permanently. Do you think that you are going to see players basically say goodbye to the PJ Tour and tee it up in London, regardless of the possible repercussions? Yes, I think we end up there. Like that's the obvious choice. It's funny. So tonight, while uh, while I was on air. I ended up getting three separate phone calls. And, and I only say this to put it in context that two of the players that called me are clearly in the tours camp. They were they're tour loyalists. They're, they're not going anywhere. They're not chasing the money. They're they, probably happy by this. They probably think that very much know, so. commissioner, commissioner Monaghan yes. has their back. Absolutely. I think both of those players were very pleased with the way they responded and they wanted to see a tough response in this case. The, the third isn't necessarily a player that has requested a release I hadn't even asked this player, but he had been on the fence. It was the type of player that you would thought, well, yeah, I, I, my guess is live golf would have interest in him. He'd have interest in that money that is coming from live golf, a little bit different take, but they all agreed on the same thing that this was heading to a lawsuit and it, it all lands with the idea that there will be a player that defies this denial essentially is what it is and goes and puts a peg in the ground on June 9th and, and tease it up, and that's where everything will start. And I think we all saw this coming eventually. I don't think anyone thought this was going to play out any any different way. There was no point in the future that Monaghan was going to sit down with Greg, Greg Norman, and they were going to come to some sort of detente, and the two were going to find a way to coexist peacefully together. That was never going to happen. So this was always going to end up with a lawsuit. There, there's two things that I, I felt compelled tonight during the golf central to point out one uh, a few weeks ago, actually it was all the way back in Los Angeles, full disclosure. I reached out to a lawyer and he's been involved with lawsuits that involved the tour before he's a labor lawyer. And I felt like I I needed just to run this by him. Let's see what he says. And he said, send me everything you have and I'll get back to you. Well, weeks went by. I mean, I think it was almost a month. I assumed he'd blown me off and he finally got back to me and he sent me two two extensive documents both were 10 pages plus so 20 plus pages and they were two separate arguments one was for the tour and one was for live golf and his point was i can make a good legal argument for both of these sides and it only i only say this to to explain 
that wherever that this is going to end up in a legal battle, but where it ends up beyond that, I, I don't have a clue. I don't think even the best legal minds could have a clue at this point. Cause you start talking about sort of you're digging down into the, the very nuances of labor law and in, in competition and independent contractors and all of the catchphrases that we've thrown out there. And one of the players that, that did request to play in this first event, I was texting back and forth with him tonight and I, I kind of wanted to end the text chain. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, this played out the way it did. And he sort of gave me a shrug emoji and he goes, well, now the fun starts. And I can only assume that the fun means the legal battle. Cause yeah. you're right. I think what, what's going to happen is someone's going to tee it up in that first event. The tour is going to suspend them or subject them to some sort of penalty or fine or something along those lines. And then that will start the proceedings. That being said, I'm not going to be surprised if you and I have another emergency podcast tomorrow or Friday because Liv Goff has decided to be proactive in this. Because at this point, they can file a lawsuit. They can decide that we've been treated unfairly and take it to the court of law. This is going to happen sooner rather than later. Please, God, we're not doing an emergency podcast with 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 just because of a, Friday a lawsuit. Night? You and I, you and what do you got, to, what you you got I, going on? What do you got to do? What are you doing? Uh, it's actually food. It's actually food truck Friday uh, on Friday night. Very excited. It's a it's a big it's a big happening in Nakia. It draws uh, thousands of people. But look, you and I, you and I are, are not lawyers. We can speak to lawyers. We can parrot what lawyers say. Uh, but you and I should not be breaking down uh, any sort no. of legal arguments. Essentially, essentially, Rex, what Live Golf their position is going to be is that the PJ Tour is uh, performing. Monopolistic Monopoly. practices. It's right. anti-competitive. These are legal, or these are independent contractors uh, who have a right to play around the world. The PJ Tours argument essentially is going to be: we are a membership organization, even though we are a nonprofit, and as such, we have membership practices, regulations, and this has been laid out for everyone uh, that this is going to be denied, particularly. In North America. That's essentially the two positions. I don't know which one is right. I don't know which one uh, will hold up in court. I've literally seen uh, stories breaking out of the arguments with the exact opposite conclusions on opposite sides of the spectrum. I see the tour is in the best position. And I've seen Live Golf and Greg Norman will win this one. What I do know is that legal proceedings do not happen quickly. They do not happen over the course of a week or even a month or probably not even a year. This is something that's going to be dragged out, not just until the end of 2022, but in all likelihood, 2023, oh, 2024. Keep going. And if the tour has its struthers, they would drag this out until 2025 and beyond as well. No. And, and here's where it's going to get, I don't want to say interesting because it's only interesting to me. And, and it, I don't think anyone else would find it even compelling in the least. But you have two bodies that clearly are motivated and they clearly have disposable income. And you, you haven't seen that really before. I, the one that immediately comes to mind is VJ Singh's lawsuit against the PGA Tour. I felt like VJ had a really, really good case. But at some point, as VJ Singh, you run out of money that the PGA Tour can just continue to push this along the legal rails and make it almost impossible for you to follow through. That's not going to happen. In this stance, it doesn't seem like either side has any interest in blinking. Doesn't seem like either side has any interest in not paying lawyers 
at this point. So it is just going to turn into a very, very long road. And where it ends up, it still remains to be seen. I will say this, though, that in the immediate short term, and I think we had this conversation, whoever that first player is, let, let's say it's Sergio Garcia, who seems like a very obvious choice after his comments. How about Phil Mickelson? <laughs> it could be Phil. Yeah, I mean, it could be any number of players as we kind of go down the list that it's going to put that player in a, a competitive and legal limbo that we've never seen in our entire lives. So essentially, let's say it is Phil Mickelson and he does tee it up, suddenly he's going to be on the outside looking in on everything else other than whatever Live Golf does next year. Let's say it's 10 events next year, and then I think it's 14 the year after that. You mean to tell me that we're going to have players that do nothing but play those 14 events, and then they sit around and wait for the legal outcome? Because at this point, at this point, and and Eamon Lynch did a good job of kind of breaking this down, I don't know that I agree with him, but it seems like the major championships are going to come in on the side of the PGA tour. And I don't understand why they want that shade right now. I don't know why the USGA or the RNA or even the PGA of America have any interest whatsoever in getting involved in this. Like this is, this is a tour problem. The tour needs to to work this out and then we'll jump in whenever everything's decided. It seems to me though, that they have taken sides. And so not only is Phil not going to be allowed to play in PGA tour events, but it seems to me that there's a very good chance he's not going to be allowed to play in any of the majors. Now, that would just be because the majors would be siding with the PGA Tour and they don't want a player who is, in not good, who is not in good standing with the PGA Tour to potentially be representing or playing for themselves in a major championship. Is that the theory? Well, and you, there is some sort of precedent set here. Like that all the, I mean, Phil's, Phil's a past champion of- at Augusta National, so he's going to be there for life. He, you would think so. By, by, by virtue of his PGA Championship victory, he's exempt into all the other majors for the next five years, including the PGA Championship for even longer. So, like, he's, he's, he's on the books. He's, he's in the field. They would have to be reversing their own eligibility rules in order to rule him out. It, yes. So, in, in theory, he, he should be able to play all of them for the next five years and then the Masters uh, and then the Open Championship into his 60s and, and however else you want to do these. I would argue that if the USGA and the RNA and the other and Goss, other ruling bodies, there is a precedent set here that when it comes to performance enhancing drugs, if a player fails a test on the PGA Tour and there's a suspension, that suspension crosses borders. It goes to the Open Championship and the US Open and the PGA Championship and the Masters. And so I guess you could make an argument that if the tour decides to suspend Phil Mickelson because he's been denied this release – and he went and teed it up anyway in this event in London, that that would, that would count across the board. I don't know if that's a perfect comparison, but that would probably be the argument. Hmm. Very interesting. And Phil, of course, is an interesting case. He's still, uh, he still, he remains uh, on the field list for the PGA Championship, which kicks off next week uh, in Tulsa. His representative has not yet said whether he is actually uh, going to play it makes a lot of sense if, as the Telegraph is reporting, Phil Mickelson received $30 million up front from Live Golf to play in all eight of their tournaments. It would make sense if you are Phil that you would certainly not just turn up in London, but you would turn up in the rest of the tournaments as well because you are contractually obligated to do so. Otherwise, you'd be forfeiting uh, some of that $30 million that he received up front. How about some of the other players 
that have mentioned. Lee Westwood uh, publicly disclosed that he has requested. Martin Keimer uh, is another name uh, that was mentioned. Ian Poulter uh, was another name that has been mentioned and reported he's going to be. Greg Norman uh, said today that it was 30-something of the top 150 players in the world. It was six of the top 50, and it was, I believe, 19 of the top 100 players in the world registered and asked for a waiver to play. I'm not going to put you on the spot and say how many will do so, but would it surprise you if we can count them on two hands the number of players who essentially say, if the tour suspends me and I never play another tour event again, I'm good. Because if you think back to Sergio Garcia at the Wells Fargo Championship, telling that rules official after receiving what eventually became uh, an incorrect ruling, uh, I'm glad I don't have to worry about you and see you for a couple more in, in a couple more weeks after that we are done. Boy, it certainly two seems done. two weeks yeah. I'm done is what I said. Two weeks I'm two done. weeks I'm done. You think he's going to turn him at Memorial and a PJ Tour rules official is going to come to him and say, "Huh? I thought you were thought you were done with us. What are you doing? Welcome here? back. Yeah, welcome, welcome back. back. Glad to have you." Uh, I do know that Sergio Garcia has withdrawn his name from the field at Colonial. I know that deadline is looming in a couple of weeks, but that gives you an idea. I, my guess is after the PGA Championship, he is done. If I had to give you a number, it's going to be 48. They're going to get 48 players in that field. Now, how many of those players are PGA Tour members remains to be seen. My guess is you don't – we wouldn't have more than, I don't know, half a dozen maybe who decide to defy – this ban and to go ahead and cross the half line. A, half a dozen players are you think are good with the PJ tour, never playing there again. Yeah, I do. And, and Westwood I, Westwood to me seems like an obvious one. If you never played another PJ tour event, Virgil seems like an obvious Virgil one. Seems like an obvious one. Phil seems like an obvious one to me. He would never play another yeah. PJ tour event again. After that, boy, I don't know. I mean, you, a lot of these players you think of, Jason Kokrak, Kevin Na, players who have uh, financial ties to Golf Saudi uh, through sponsorship deals. Boy, they're still <laughs> they're still active on the PGA Tour. They're still top 35 players in the world. That would certainly be a, a risk I'm not sure they're willing to take. You would think not. But again, we're talking about generational wealth, and, and that's the other conversation, right? Like you mentioned that Phil gets $30 million. So to play eight events – that's generational wealth. And even for Phil Mickelson, who seems to lose that much in a year in gambling, if you if you extrapolate that down, let's let's say Kevin Na, for example, he's getting $10 million or $5 million, whatever the case may be. And on top of whatever it is. As a, as, a, as a signing bonus. Yes. And on top of whatever it is he can earn on the golf course. If he's made the decision, which I think we can all agree without any further context, that Sergio Garcia has made the decision to move on. Like it didn't matter what the tour was going to announce today. Whatever email he got in his box today, it didn't matter. He didn't have to look at it. I'm moving on. I'm done. I've decided that this is my future, and the PGA Tour is not, not in my future. I think there's going to be, yeah, at least a half a dozen players who decide that, nope, I'm good. Like I've made this decision, and I'm going to stick with it. Which is exactly what Jay Monahan wants them to do. If you think back to his press conference at the Players' Championship in March, he said, look, I'm done with the distractions. We're moving on. We have too much momentum. There's too much we need to accomplish. We're not going to be distracted by these other rumors. Us or them, pick your path. We're forging ahead regardless. So, like, I think it would almost be a relief to Monahan for these players to say, you know what, I'm, I'm jumping ship. 
Maybe if there was if there was no ambiguity, right? So if if he knew, let's say Jay knew the twenty players, which is the number, or seventy players, or whatever number you want to pick. Let's say, but let's say he knows exactly the twenty players who were going to go play the live golf events, regardless of whatever the tour was going to rule on. That that's fine. Like he's probably willing to, to to break ranks with them and and move on. Like you want to go over there and play, go over there and play. We'll take our product. My guess is, and there's a lot of anecdotal evidence to suggest to support this, that there were other players that aren't on that list right now that are taking a very keen interest in what's happening. And you and I have had this conversation before that we're going to get to a point later this year after the final Live Golf event is in Doral, that that final money list is going to come out. And there's going to be someone on that list that made $8 million that your top players on the PGA tour have never even heard of and know that on their worst day, I could beat him. And I made $2 million this year on the PGA tour. That's going to be a problem. And I think Jay and the rest of the PGA tour knows that. That's what I don't think people are properly wrapping their heads around is that live golf folks are not operating by normal standards or normal expectations. You mentioned the lawsuit and kind of the VJ Singh versus PJ tour case. And now this is kind of behemoth versus behemoth with PJ tour versus what essentially is going to be the Saudi Arabian government and their seemingly limitless funds. Like they, they are equipped to go in this protracted lawsuit because they have the funds to do so. Greg Norman has said, that they literally do not care who plays in these tournaments and that their entire operating procedure and their entire mantra and their entire belief system is centered around the fact that these no-names, these relative nobodies in the world of golf are going to get insanely rich and the top players in the world are going to get jealous. That is everything that they are predicating the live golf model on, competitive jealousy that the John Roms and the Kyle Morikawas and the Bryce Nishambles and the Brooks Kepkas are going to look over at this relative nobody who's been toiling in Europe for 15 years and somehow just got $15 million playing this series on this bad golf course with 54 holes in the shotgun start and say, what? How is that guy rich? How's that I, possible? Who is I had that to guy? work for 25 weeks in order to get my $7 million. That is essentially what Greg Norman and company are banking on. Competitive jealousy. I don't buy it. Because I think I've mentioned on this podcast a number of times, I have never met a great player who is motivated by money. These live golf events still represent nothing. They do not offer any world ranking points. There's no world ranking points up for grabs uh, at the Centurion Club in a couple weeks' time. It is literally just a 48-player money grab. Now, could they essentially break into the official world golf ranking system? They certainly hope so. Uh, Otherwise, these players' careers are going down the tank and they're never going to play in a major, regardless of whether uh, they're in good standing with the PGA Tour or not. But they play for legacy. They play for history. They play to measure themselves against the greats of the game. Live Golf can't offer that. The only thing they can offer is these $25 million purses at these nothing events in, at Pumpkin Ridge or, or Trump Bedminster. And they're just hoping that dudes get jealous. That's a crazy business model that I don't think people are wrapping their minds around. They're not operating by the same rules and norms and customs that we're used to in professional golf. No, and it's odd. And I don't think it's the only odd business decision that they've, they've made and they're going to make. I, I think, and we've had this conversation before, 
that beyond just pure jealousy that they're going to allow however these money lists are going to play out. And let's see how the top players in the PGA Tour react to this. The other half of this is, and we're going to end up seeing it in the first event in London, there's going to be a handful of amateurs who sign NIL deals and they're going to play in these events. And what's NIL, going to NIL deals with whom? Golf Saudi? Uh, well, Live Golf would, would be the, the entity, would be my guess. I mean, yes. Oh, that's going to that's gonna, that's gonna go over well. Go over well with who? Who are you questioning here? I would say it's, it's probably not going to go over well with their teammates or their coaches or their school presidents, potentially. Why? Associating with the controversial arm of the Saudi Arabian government? I mean, it's an NIL deal. It's it's very, very clear. I mean, my understanding of how these deals work is as long as there's no performance bonus involved, you can let a college athlete can sign an NIL deal with whoever they want. So it doesn't matter. But they've also wanted these deals to be vetted and to to reflect properly upon not just a, a, a college golf team, but a college university. I can tell you, because I did this story last week, because I did some reporting on this, that there's already NIL deals that have been signed with Live Golf. Of college golfers. Now I'm talking not I'm not talking about the yes. Kaita Nakajimas of the world. I'm talking yes. about college Absolutely. golfers. Absolutely. And this goes to what you and I talked about last week. That Live Golf is fine playing the jealousy game, but they're gonna play the long game on this. And the long game is every year, if they can pick off one or two Scotty Schefflers or Jordan Spees or whoever the, the hottest college players. Oh, are. it is it is by far their best route. Absolutely. So we don't want your stars right now. We're going to take your stars of tomorrow. We're going to feed on your young and we're going to do this for the next decade. And let's see where we land. Let's see where you are and let's see where we are. And we've got deep pockets and we can sit here and do this. I'm not saying this is right. And and I've been kind of pushed into a corner on on this a little bit and I'm not entirely comfortable with it because I can tell you, I don't feel entirely comfortable with what they're doing, but I can see the model of what they're trying to create. And I can see why it would work because suddenly you're asking a college kid, that, okay, here's your options. You can pay six grand to go to PGA Tour Q school. And then if you're lucky, if you play well during that particular phase of, you know, if you play well that one week out of the year, you'll get your Corn Ferry Tour card and you'll probably spend a year or two out there losing money because no one makes money on the Corn Ferry Tour. And then in three years, you'll make it to the PGA Tour. And then as long as you continue to play well, you'll make money. Now, you, you just oppose that to the idea that, you're going to sign an NIL deal as a senior at the university of whatever. And we're going to allow you to play in seven of the eight live golf events. And these are the purses and you can keep that money and it's yours. And we're going to develop you as one of our future stars. You tell me which one of those is more enlightening. What happens if it implodes in three years and then by association with live golf, they've, they're also now permanently banned from the PGA Tour. They literally have no. Uh, they wouldn't be banned from no the PGA to Tour. To be to be clear on that, uh, you're right. There there is not there is no no safety valve here as far as where we're going to be five years from now. And you're right. right. So guys, if you're if you're a good player in college, why on earth would you possibly do that? Other than boy, I need I need the money right now. To your original point, though, if you're not a PGA Tour member now, there's nothing the PGA Tour can do to you in the future for deciding to go this route now. Right. So let's say you're you're Ryan Labner. You're the stud out of the University of Georgia. I am Ryan Labner. 
and you, you sign an NIL deal and you play in two years worth of live golf events and you make quite a bit of money, but then this goes belly up, which is a very real possibility. We all know that. Like we, we know that at any moment that the Saudis can be like, yeah, we've had enough of this. We're good. We're going to move on. So this goes belly up. You were never a PGA tour member. So you would never be subject to any kind of disciplinary action that hmm. I know. So you tell gotcha. me where it's wrong and then we can have a conversation after that. No, that makes sense. I think that was an important distinction to make. It's not anyone ever. So if it's not a, it's not a DP world tour player. It's not an Australasian player. It's not a Japan tour player. Anyone who plays in these tournaments is, is banned from this point forward until eternity. It's, you have to be a PJ tour member who plays in these tournaments and then you are banned. Well, yeah, you, they have, they would have no sanctions against someone. Ryan Lavender's never been on the PGA tour. So therefore you didn't have That's to a, ask for permission. It's you a, go do what you want. It's a membership organization. They can, they can rewrite their rules and regulations, however they want. If they want to punish you as, as someone who was never a member who decided to go and play somewhere else in the world. No, why not? that's not going to happen. And then trust me, why not? not you, they could, they could Again, certainly. We're, we're talking about legal arguments. How do you think that legal argument is going to stack up? I was never oh. even a member of that organization and they banned me. That's not going to work, man. I haven't seen your story on golfchannel.com about the top amateurs accepting the NIL deals. With Live Golf? Yeah. Uh, you won't see that. It, it was just a regular, I'm doing a, a, an NIL story based on some stuff that happened last week at the Wells Fargo. And this was just a random conversation I had with an agent that I thought was fascinating. Highly ranked player? Yes, actually. Hmm. I can probably guess who that was. You're going to keep pushing um, on this one? Is that, that no, that's what's going to happen? No, I, right. I find that very interesting. And, and as go. we've talked about on this podcast, that is the best course of action if you are live golf, because the future of this series is not Lee Westwood. It's not Phil Mickelson. It's not Ian Poulter. It's not Sergio Garcia. It is the next generation. You'd be very wise to pick a couple of them off. And, and like I was actually thinking today, so Norman came out and he said 19 of the top 100 players has signed up. And I looked um, and I started putting some, you know, two and two together. Who could be the six of the top 50 who have signed up? And then I'm not sure how recently you've checked out the world rankings. It falls off an absolute cliff after about 70 in the world. Like guys that you have no idea how they would have possibly cracked the top 100 guys who are clearly on the back end of their careers, guys who are just racking up tons of points in Japan or Australia or South Africa, wherever the case may be, and have done nothing on the world stage otherwise. And so like when I hear 19 of the top 100, I think, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then you look at who is actually going to be comprising that, and it's like, oof, barf. And so for Norman and company to target the amateur players, if you said, like, barf. It's a little strange. <laughs> it's a little strange for these 48 uh, player field to be filling with amateurs, but like they're kind of also planting the seeds for the future as well. And how does that, how is that going to work for um, the purses? So if let's say, let's say there's three amateurs of the 48 man field do obviously the amateurs cannot collect prize money or they would have forfeited their amateur status unless the Saudis are somehow playing by different rules for amateur, for amateur yeah. status. No, no. I, I still think the same rules apply. Again, my understanding of, of NIL deals, as long as they're not performance based, as long as, as you're to your point, like if you finish third at the first Saudi invitational event in London, that you don't get more money if you finish 48th. 
So it's going to be a flat rate for those guys coming out. So, and, and you asked me what happens with the prize money. It's the same thing that happens on the PGA Tour when you have an amateur in the field. So it's basically just divided over 45 players as opposed to 48. Exactly. Yes. Oof. I mean, that, that has to be an astronomical number because you think of how much money a player could earn at a, at a bare, bare minimum. I don't have a calculator on me. 120 times eight is, let's call it roughly a million dollars. So that NIL deal would have to be a million dollars to justify a player making that move, does it not? I don't know where the limits are. I mean, to your point that you're right, they have There's to be no dead. limits. Have you seen college football? Uh, no limits. There, there aren't any limits. It, it seems like it's the wild, wild west out there. My guess is it does have to go through compliance. So whatever university, their compliance department does have to look at this. So my guess is if they see a, a golfer getting a million-dollar NIL deal, that that's going to raise a lot of red flags. I could be completely wrong on that. And you're right. It is a wild, wild west. Why would west. that be any different than a football player collecting a million dollars? I mean, one of those two sports makes money and one of them loses money. Right, and it's coming. And it's coming from whom? <laughs> what is live what is, golf? What is live golf? This makes no sense to me. And who's and Greg Normine, man? And I can watch these tournaments on YouTube, but not on an actual yes, uh, linear TV. Uh, amazing. Uh, Where it crosses is you and I have friends. We know mutual people who are who will be working at those events. Do we? We do, yeah. So it, it, the, the company that will be uh, essentially the, the production company is the same production company that, that runs the, the PGA Tours production, which is odd, and I'm sure it's mm. caused all kinds of awkward conversations. But I'm, yes, sure there's so, gonna be an, I'm sure there's an opt-out on that uh, contract that's going to be initiated here shortly. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how that works out. But yeah, you and I know, yeah, I mean, look, these are very, very small circles that you and I run in. And when we're out on, on the PGA tour and, and we know cameramen, we know sound guys. And so, yeah, we, we know a lot of mutual people that are going to go both ways on that one. Ooh, that sounds fun. Uh, is there anything Rex we didn't discuss? You've been talking for, uh, it looks like the last three hours and 24 minutes about this. Is there anything we didn't discuss in this podcast that you think is important to uh, share? Checks notes one more time. Checks notes one more time. Nope. I think we covered it. Perfect. We folks will be on writer's block on Wednesday. I'm sure we'll be talking more live golf. I'm sure we'll be talking uh, player suspensions. I'm sure we'll be talking legalese. That'll be fun. And oh yeah, we're also going to get back to the PGA tour schedule. It's the 18T Byron Nelson this week. Very good field has assembled Spieth, JT, Scotty, Brooks, DJ, Xander. I mean, it's like seven of the top 15 at TPC Craig Ranch, uh, best field certainly of this post-Masters gloom, and it'll get us in the mood, I would say, for the PGA Championship. Rex and I will be doing this podcast live. Folks, we're going to be doing it live uh, from Southern Hills. Looking forward yes. to doing that. We'll probably have a pop or two uh, in, the, in the renaissance uh, when we tape that podcast. But thank you guys for listening to this edition, this emergency edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. We'll talk to you guys next week. Be sure to check out Rex on Golf Central and both of us on GolfChannel.com. See ya.